Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now, cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 268th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by four brand new patrons, Ben Gendris, Colin Truby, Lena Green, and Andrew Gillespie. Thanks, everyone. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have one of our old staples on, Tim Nakashi. We actually tried to have him on last year, but we had some technical issues, so we brought him back on this time, and he's just always a delight to talk to. I feel like he is such a thoughtful, mellow, artistic guy. It's like everything you want out of your friend who like went to like art school and like knows all the cool bands and like the crazy animation techniques and like deep cut movies, but without the baggage of art school damage. You know what I mean? Like he's not shitty about any of that, which is great. It's really wonderful. Yeah. And for those of you that don't remember him or have not heard him before, he's a music video director. He's a commercial director. He just did a video for Islands. He's done videos for Maroon 5, for Dua Lipa, for OK Go. He's kind of a visualist, I would say. He's done commercials for McDonald's and Ray-Ban and all these like big brands and all over the world. And he's just a really smart, talented guy that's worked on some really huge things, but I feel like whenever we talk to him, he's just like, he's so humble and thoughtful and interested in what everyone else is doing that it, you know, you kind of forget that he's done all these like incredible things himself. You, everyone should check out his website, timnakashi.com, because he does these things that are kind of simple, but genius at the same time for, from visual standpoints that, you know, that are really cool. And we talk about collaborating. All sorts of stuff. Collaboration, I think, is the name of the game in this one. Oren and I have been doing some light collaboration, and it kind of unlocked some thoughts for both of us about the nature of how to work with people, basically, uh, which is a topic that we tackle a lot on the show from the professional side in terms of clients and agency and producers and all of that but i realized it's something that we don't really talk about a ton when it comes to like working with your pals which is a thing that you have to do at the very beginning and also kind of all the way through the rest of your career so why not talk about it a little bit but before we talk to tim Oren, i've really genuinely been dying to know what have you been working on lately well i have uh, been working on a lot of diaper changes and uh feedings and whatever you do with a two-week-old 
baby, but I do actually have a shoot tomorrow, and it is a very small shoot. It's a, my friend has a company that sells nuts and snacks and various other, other things. They're a fairly big company in that space. And I did talk to the producer because I was doing, I'm doing this shoot for the company, but I also did some motion graphics things for their website and things. And I told her, I was like, well, I was working on, on the motion graphics. It really made me want to eat these nuts. They have these, you know, the tagine spice. They have these mm-hmm. like really I kind of spicy peanuts yeah. and spices. That I'm very excited to be with tomorrow on set. And she said that I can take some stuff home at the end of the day. So I will also cool. be paid, you know, a day rate, yeah. but also yeah. nuts. In like a lime spicy chili powder as well, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, cashews are expensive. I don't know if they do cashews, but. Yeah, there's, you know. there's a reason they're called cashews. Not <laughs> because they cost a lot of money and they're gross. Anyway, I'll let you unpack that. But uh, the interesting thing is that because this is a really small shoot, it's kind of me and a photographer and I'm doing some video stuff for Instagram and for their site and kind of lifestyle type things, you know, people enjoying hanging out, eating some nuts, packaging, things like that. I am also providing all the gear. I'm using the Sony a7S III that I cannot stop talking about. Uh, I set up this Wi-Fi tethering for it so that the producer can be seeing what I'm shooting, even though it'll all be wireless, just, you know, over Wi-Fi. And I thought it might bring this black magic too, you know, just to have in the car, sure, you know, sure. the backup. But yeah. it's the first time in a really long time where I'm a little stressed out about, not about the directing artistic part of it, but the technical side, because I need to make sure I have enough batteries and I need to make sure my memory cards are ready to go. And I need to make sure I'm not shooting everything at 50 frames per second like I did on the last <laughs> shoot I did just at home by myself. Now I got some new audio equipment, making sure that all that is going right and that my media settings are optimized. And, you know, when you're shooting for yourself, it's like one thing. You, you do your best. And if you mess up, you're like, okay, well, I messed up. It's on me. But when you're shooting for someone else, that stuff becomes really important. And it's funny, the DPA I work with a lot on our last job I wanted to shoot some stuff on Sony A7S III because we're doing this kind of vlog style stuff that's intercut with really nice footage. And I said, well, I, I want to use the Sony A7S III because it has autofocus. And I want, you know, this woman who's holding the camera the whole time to be in focus no matter where she puts the camera. And he was like, are you insane? Like you want to work with a client and an agency and all these people and shoot on autofocus? What if they say they want something in the background to be in focus? And I said, well, I'll tell them that that it won't be in focus because, you know, that's not the point. The point is for it to feel like a vlog. Right. Well, and vlogs specifically give you that sort of license to make it feel like it's driven by a machine a little bit because that's how our phones work. And that's how the DSLRs, the vloggers use work. You know, it's an aesthetic choice, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. But he was so scared. He's like, what if they're there? He's like, it is my job for the technical stuff to be seamless. So when we're two hours behind on set and the agency is like, hey, can you just throw focus to this person in the background? And I say, sorry, the camera's on autofocus. Like that makes me look like an idiot. And it just made me kind of realize like how much of the mental load from a technical standpoint is sitting on your DP, on your cinematographer, on your technical team. And when you just do a tiny shoot by yourself and you're just running camera and doing everything, but there's still a client, that load comes back to you just to make sure the settings are right. So even tonight I was thinking maybe I'll just watch a few tutorials on YouTube just to make sure I'm 
using like my gimbal in the exact right mode that's going to get me the best shots and all these things that again when I'm shooting for myself I'm never worried about because it's just me having fun with the camera or my friends or my family but when I'm with a client and all of a sudden I'm the DP again but also directing it's it's stuff that you really have to educate yourself about before you get to set. Specifically also troubleshooting, right? Like it's one thing to know how things work under ideal circumstances, but what happens if, you know, something's weird, something's different, something's unexpected occurs, you know, knowing how to fix it is oftentimes part of your technical team's, you know, prowess as well. And so it's been a long time since I've shot something myself, but I did produce a movie, you know, at the beginning of 2020 that my wife was directing. And so I was quite hands on in that way. And there were a lot of technical things that like you are reminded, right? Oh, this is my problem. Like I have to keep this. If I don't fix this now, then the movie is behind schedule. And then I have to figure out how to pay for overtime or something, you know? Right. Well, there's this weird thing that happens with kind of these small, very small crews that are trying to be at, you know, a high level of professionalism, which is the gear. And I'm curious on your movie, like, were you ever like, oh, maybe we should just get a couple more lights or what if we need to do this? Like, like just in case, let's get some more C-stands and some more Apple boxes. Maybe we should have this lens and this. And then you realize at some point, like, oh, there's actually no human. No, we don't have a person that is responsible for that because right now. I'm wondering, we're going to be mainly exterior tomorrow and I'm bringing my, you know, eight by and some grip stuff. But I'm like, I have this light, this daylight light, the aperture. Should I bring that just in case we go inside? It's it's just a lot of gear for me by myself to have to set up while also directing and shooting. I, and I always, I always bring way too, more stuff than I need to and it's, it almost always weighs me down. How, how did you guys deal with that on the feature? On the feature, it was an issue, actually. Yeah, we we scaled up sometimes, but for the most part, it was our core team. And I would say that we accidentally got more gear than we than we needed, basically. And it was because our DP had a great hookup at like a fancy place, and the place was like, we'd rather just rent you this full kit than cherry pick things and uh, you know it's funny going way way back when i was doing squaresville which was the a web series that i did that kind of helped launch my career in a pretty significant way it wasn't the first thing i'd ever done by far and so i at that point had managed to figure out the perfect ratio of hands on set to amount of gear that i could afford and fit in the pickup truck that my parents gave me you know what I mean? Like like the car that I had plus the gear that I needed plus the people that I could afford to make them all work perfectly. And I think if you can find that that magic sweet spot of like, I want to say it's 15 people is is kind of the ceiling there. You're not worried about parking. You can get food that's really affordable, but like you can customize it. Crafty isn't crazy. You know, you only need one bathroom. There's all sorts of very specific producery logistical things that... um that help you out basically. And as soon as you hit like 25 people, it's just a totally different ball game. Even, even if you were at 24 and you were really comfortable, just like a few more bodies and all of a sudden, you know, it becomes a big thing. But I I think this, what I'm talking about all kind of points to my sweet spot in terms of 
when I was DIY, I leaned hard on producer skills rather than camera skills. Like I will always become a producer, like pick up that slack rather than and hire someone to like charge batteries and things like that. But no matter what, no matter what your core competencies are, once you are able to bring on a team members who are taking care of those things for you and you are just directing, it is a big, significant change in terms of process and in terms of mental focus right like once you realize like oh i'm not the guy who's going to call and get lunch lined up in two shots you realize like oh maybe i could be rehearsing the actors or like something else (laughs) that's specifically designed to like make the thing that you're making even better rather than just making your days because what you're worried about is making your day you're worried oh if i if my batteries run out then I I won't complete the shoot. And I know it doesn't sound like you're especially worried about schedule in in the way that like, you know, producers tend to be because of overtime and all that stuff. But still, we're talking about the logistics of just getting the shot, the the thing shot, basically. Yeah. I mean, I guess my worry is my friend says, you know, I've I've seen your website. I know you have good taste. I know you make things look nice. Like, so I trust you. You know, but to me, it's like, well, yeah, we had an Alexa, we had like a 25 person crew, we had HMIs, we had whatever, you know, and we had people that were really good at setting those up. So when it's just me now, I'm like, oh, there's a little bit of pressure for me to make my one man band look like my commercial stuff. But I think there's kind of like two ways to approach it. And, and just, you know, for some context, like coming up, I, you know, I used to make YouTube videos, like that's how I came up. I would shoot all my own stuff and make all my own things. And I, I never had any fear. I had a, you know, big truck that I would also load a billion C stands into and just dreamed of the day that I would never have to carry another C stand. But it's just been so long that I I'm not as comfortable with my gear that I have as I used to. And so I I'm functioning a little bit more off of fear, which is like what if I don't have the right thing? What if I need another light? What if like the model's eye light it just needs an eye light? I could I maybe I should just have this eye light. But I think if I rearrange my thinking a little bit, and this is probably what most people already know, but if you think instead of like, oh, you know, maybe I'll bring 10 lights just in case I need them. uh, If instead you think like, how can I accomplish each one of these things with one light and one bounce? You know, how can I arrange the camera? How can I arrange the blocking? How can I arrange the location, the models, the thing, the mood, the tone to be a one light, one bounce shoot all of a sudden, you know, you you make that challenge your asset and you know you you can start stop worrying about like oh maybe i have something in the truck that will like make this 5% better well it sort of begs the question Warren, why did you decide to do this job well on <laughs> i guess the funny thing is the answer is because i wanted to have this feeling it's been so long since i've just been doing everything by myself for a client or for someone else that I thought it would be fun. And the the producer is my friend and I feel like we will get to do kind of low stakes art. I mean, it's, we're shooting models, you know, having fun with like bags of nuts, (laughs) Um, you know, and then we're shooting just bags of nuts and just trying to make pretty pictures. And I, I've always loved photography for that uh, reason because I can just by myself go try to find a cool image. And so this is, this is like just one step up from that, but with a, a little bit more expectations put on me. So I don't know. I guess I, I guess I thought 
it would be fun to go shoot stuff with my friend. Um, you know, Jordan Brady, our, our friend has his oh so delicious hot sauce company. And I think he shoots all those commercials with his family. And some of them are like really fun. Super fun. Also that hot sauce is so good. Yeah. I saw other, I think actually uh, one of our listeners directed by Jojo is his uh, Instagram handle made a spec commercial <laughs> for that hot sauce. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And then Jordan oh. posted it and I was like, Oh, that's pretty smart. If you want Jordan Brady to post mm-hmm. your commercial, make a spec commercial <laughs> For hey. oh so delicious hot sauce and i bet you he will post it i'll i'm gonna go on the record and say if you make a just shoot it commercial we will post it on our social media well yeah duh <laughs> well that's what i'm saying why are we shilling for jordan <laughs> well because he has a hot sauce you can make a hot well, sauce spec commercial and people will be like oh, is will, that a real commercial i will send you a hat if you make a spec commercial for just there you it. go Okay. For just shoot it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know that I do the the hat mailings, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to guilt you into doing the hat mailings. Okay, cool. Well, All we right. should get to Tim. But before we talk to Tim, uh, I'd love to remind people, speaking of hats, that we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It is a place where you can go just support us if you're into it. You know, you can give us a dollar a month, $4 a month, $10 a month. If you do that $10, even just one time, we'll send you a just shoot it hat which is a great hat to wear on set i'm going to wear mine tomorrow and uh when someone asks me if i want to tweak the art i will just point to the hat and say just shoot it and they'll say well you're the one holding the camera so the, why well, don't you what are you waiting it? for yeah yeah. Uh, push the button or so uh yeah but check it out patreon.com slash just shoot it pod it's a great place we're gonna do some more events shortly uh now that things are opening up maybe we'll do another live event who knows yeah i can't we wait we haven't even Sounds talked good. about that yet yeah I feel like we're going to do a live event, but Matt's going to zoom into it, <laughs> and I'll just be <laughs> high-fiving everyone. I am fully inoculated as of uh, Friday. No, That's I Friday. know you are, but I just feel like I'm... Oh, I haven't left at all? That's true. That's yeah. true. You're enjoying the... I am enjoying the distance. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, do I have to go see people again? Maybe. We'll see. Um, but before we get to our conversation with Tim Nakashi, we have one, one other thing to talk about, and that is our hashtag just shoot black magic giveaways. Oren, did you know that we are giving away all sorts of free, awesome gear from black magic on our Instagram? I do. Uh, it's yeah, awesome. you did know that. We actually yeah, just yeah. gave away a copy of resolve studio, which is the professional. I mean, resolve non-studio is also professional, but it's like the top of the line uh, editing software. And we're going to give away two more copies of that um, over the next few weeks. We're also giving away a black magic six K camera, giving a Blackmagic 6K Pro camera. We're giving a Blackmagic control panel to do color, professional level color grading. This is, as everyone knows, like literally Hollywood level studio grading, what uh, so many movies in Hollywood are graded with. So you should check it out. It's super easy to enter. Uh, A lot of people have won stuff already. Like literally all you have to do is follow us on Instagram, like our post about whatever we're giving away that week and you are entered to win if you it's it's literally that easy i feel like comment, a lot of people have entered and not even known that they've entered yeah and then they're like oh i got a camera <laughs> i i agree um if you comment on the post and tag a friend of yours that you think will like the show you will be entered again so you can enter twice and we are excited about it we want to give things away okay on that note let's talk to tim nakashi 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check him out. Let us know how it goes. Tim Nakashi, back on the podcast. Normally, we wouldn't have you on, but we tried to have you on one time. and It was an epic failure. So much so that I think we might have 
Did we edit Tim totally out of that episode? I, th- I think we erased him from existence. You should have. I mean, I said some amazing things that weren't recorded <laughs> when I was deep in the woods at my floor- my parents' house in Florida. But uh, man. We had Tim on our New Year panel episode, but his internet connection was so... So bad. Bad. I mean, yeah, that, uh, that, that it was the worst part said. of 2020. That was easily the worst part of 2020. Was missing or, the, out on what or a high said. point, depending on how you look at it. Really. <laughs> but now uh, Tim is on fiber and That's he's true. just zooming into everyone's houses, right and left. Shout out to AT and T fiber. Yeah. Yeah. So Tim, how's it going? What have you been up to? Things have been great. The year has. It feels like it's still starting for me. If I'm being totally honest, right. I do have work. I do have lots of possibilities, but I you know, was in Florida for months, we decided to have a, our own retreat and remove ourselves from the final phase of, you know, quarantine in LA. And it was a great, great decision, you know, to get out and see a different part of the country and be around our folks for a bit. And now that I'm back, I've, uh, there's been a lot of projects flying around and there's definitely been the feeling of like, oh, am I the guy who gets put up for projects that were are slightly out of reach and i like spin my wheels like crazy and then every once in a while i get those because probably more likely than not because someone made a mistake that's why i got the project Mm -hmm. Uh, it's certainly not someone making a mistake but i'm sure there's a creative director who's like oh yeah this is tim's work is really cool let's give him a shot yeah yeah even though for the record i have been told that i have been told that by (laughs) someone at agency after we were already shooting she was like just so you know it was kind of a mistake that you got this. We actually hadn't looked at your reel as far as the oh, certain type man. of work I was doing, but we just loved this one video and everybody just go went go, go, go. And then we realized later we hadn't actually looked at your reel and we didn't have the, you know, we couldn't just go to the, the executive creative director and tell them we hadn't done our research. So uh, <laughs> anyway, have at it. Well, you guys are familiar with the idea of like sandbagging directors, right? What's that? I, I forget. It's like if you... And I maybe this is just a term that the producers I talk to use, but let's say they want to hire me for a job, but the person that's hiring them is is, is requesting that they see at least three reels from three different directors. They will sandbag the situation by taking two directors that there's no way they will ever hire and showing them th- those reels so that I my reel will look a lot better and then they'll hire me. And about 70% of the time, they end up hiring one of those other ba- two Backfires. Directors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, backfires all the time. <laughs> I was talking to a friend who's very into Survivor, the television show, of which there are many, many, many seasons. And there's a term for the uh, the type of player that wouldn't be voted as the winner at the very end. They call it a goat. So it's like, oh, they're just keeping this person around, this, this sandbag, this dead weight, knowing that they're unpopular enough that there's no way they'll actually win the final prize at the end, which I yeah, love. That's it's like so a behavioral, yeah. a behavioral psychology thing, right? There's um, definitely a social yeah. experiment in there somewhere. There's this amazing book called predictably irrational. I think it's by Dan Kahneman. He's like, he's like a Malcolm Gladwell kind of type of guy, but he focuses on behavioral psychology. And he says that like when you, if you give people three options and two of those options are similar to each other and one is clearly better than the other one, then they, they won't even look at the third option. And so he, he was trying to apply that thinking in terms of uh, uh, attracting people at a bar. And he said, if you are like average looking and you take your friend who's like kind of similar to you, like maybe same height, same kind of essence as you, but is just like slightly less attractive and the two of you go to 
a, a bar together, you'll have an easier time attracting someone than someone that maybe is very good looking in a different way, but ha there's no one to compare them to. <laughs> oh, really? Um, and they I really do that would have thought it was the opposite. No. And so they do that with pricing a lot. They'll say like, hey, you know, you can get a subscription to the New York Times. You get just the print one. You can get the print and digital or you can get digital only. And that there's my example is totally wrong because it doesn't make sense. But but there's there's a way in pricing where you can make two things like one of them seems so much better and it'll be the middle, the higher priced one. It's like $20 for digital and print. It's like $19 for just print. And it's like, you know, $18 for just digital. So everyone will go for this $20 one. And, and there's a lot of psychology into creating options that are similar to each other so that to manipulate how people. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, it's definitely, definitely something to think about, you know, as I was just last week starting to pitch on this big commercial campaign that was sort of the biggest thing for me this year so far. I mean, it's, it's huge. And I was very excited. When you say huge, you mean the budget is big, the celebrities involved are big, the brands are big? Just a big national brand. Yeah, lots of money, four days of shooting for, you know, big stuff. And, yeah, and the, sort, the sort of commercial you know people are gonna see like it's a pri it's a primetime commercial you know primetime commercial and it involved like creative stuff right off the bat like there was there was like a stop motion aspect to it and but they didn't want like crafty stop motion they wanted something innovative and different and you know it just sort of had all these great it checked off a lot of boxes but I, I knew from the right. start. They're that like, I would... give us everyone that's ever directed an OK Go music video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, it was me against somebody who is like one of the biggest names in, in yeah, this yeah. kind of creative commercial stuff. And so I was told by the EP right away, my EP, you should come up with ways of differentiating yourself from that person's yeah, work. Wait. And I actually don't like that thinking at all. And, in, and I actually intentionally haven't looked at that person's work Recently, I didn't look at it at this time, so I did not listen to my EP. But I thought that was an interesting, you know, bit of advice. Like, try to differentiate yourself from this person. Where, because to me, I'm like, our work looks nothing alike, honestly. And I'm also not a big stop motion guy, so that was my other question. I was like, I had the sense that I was brought in as the wild card. Like, oh, this guy will come up with something different and okay, go-ish or whatever. Maybe digital as opposed to physical and practical or whatever. So I always try to differentiate myself with the idea in a way that feels like, wow, I really got it. I got the character, the, the sort of the thrust of what they're trying to speak to. And on top, top of it, I came up hopefully with something new that felt essential to the storytelling, but also was like on its own, maybe going to attract a lot of excitement, you know? And uh, I mean, that's all I, that's all you can do, you know? Otherwise, you're just triangulating again. Well, let me ask you, obviously, you're inspired to do this stop motion thing because of the creative of this commercial that you end up not doing the commercial. Can you go make like a short film using this kind of method you came up with? Oh, totally. Absolutely. I mean, I, I will. You know, I, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, you guys, I think we've talked about this a few times. Like I have like a folder full of like little ideas and things got some bookmarks and some tabs and some things I've sketched out that I am looking to find a way to do, you know? And sometimes that means I've pitched it, pitched it already three times to some big pop artist who they don't get it. And then I get to do it instead for an indie music video, which I did at the end of the year for my buddy, Nick Thorburn. I did a very simple idea that I had pitched to huge names. And they, when you say Nick Thorburn, is that Nick from islands? Nick? Yeah. I got to do a music video, which uh, an indie video, which meant 
we really kind of, kind of got to do what exactly what we wanted without anybody standing over the, our shoulder, you know, telling us how to modify it. I'm curious in that situation, you have an idea, a visual idea you want to do at scale, like, right, you know, and just shoot it by yourself in your place. Do you come to your musician friend and say, hey, do you have a song that we can do this for? Or does he happen to come to you with a song and you're like, oh, I have the idea? Well, I mean, no, I mean, I'm in in a space where I've done enough videos where people will ask me to do videos. I'm not looking to do videos. In fact, I've Videos are t- tough, you know. I'm not looking to invite that any more than I already do in my life. So, yeah, he asked me, do I want to partner with him and make a video? But the, but the reason that they're tough, quote unquote, is that the budgets are so low that you're basically losing money if you're, you know, the way that you're spending time or, you know, like... I mean, honestly, it's not it's especially not lucrative. Or, or, no, no, interesting. Well, Tell me more. Tim Nakashi. I mean, he does Maroon 5, Dua Lipa. I mean, that's sure, a tiny sure, music. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is, it's like, you know, a, a director of a video, the, the, the arrangement is you get 10% of the budget. So often one day shoot. So if the budget's 120K, that's a pretty great day rate. And so in some cases, that's been a good paycheck. In other cases, that means I got. $1,000 for uh, what felt like two weeks of solid work. But actually, I mean, really, it's the budget, but also the expectation, you know, so because because there's just the sky is the limit as to as to what is hoped for for that video, you know, and stuff looks so good now. Uh, cameras are amazing. Sort of like the world, I think, of like visual poetry of music videos is on fire right now to the degree that I, th- I think in part it's just the expectation that you're going to hit seven locations. You're going to have days of shooting. You're going to, there's going to be a documentary apart. There's going to be a, you know, a drone in right. there. Like I mean, a short film preamble. Yeah. An album trailer. And uh, yeah. So I think, yes, you're right. The budgets can suck, but also the expectations is very high. And, you know, we put that together and you get, oh, eight people who are doing every job and they are scrapping it together and they are the people driving the thing and setting up the crafty and also editing it and color correcting it. And is that another way of saying that there are just more people in the commercial space there to limit expectations and focus? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that they're like, that's what agency producers are there to kind of like help with to say, oh, well, we know how much money we have and what you can get from that. And so people always try to push and add like a little social thing or, you know, some BTS footage or, or, you know, product shots. Like what if we threw in a little bit of money to get a a photographer to come in and shoot the product while you guys are shooting on set or whatever, all of that. So there people push for sure, but it feels like there are safeguards that keep things from going so far off the rails that they're trying to get seven locations and a mini documentary and et cetera, et cetera. The things you just kind of outlined. Well, that's a good point. I do think, well, I just would say that the world of commercials and agencies is, it's just a world of, it's a committee world where there are lots of people are watching and, and there's, there are contracts and, and very sharply defined deliverables. And, you know, they've already had focus groups like working on what they're wanting to say and, and who they're talking to. And I think when it comes to, videos it's like usually there's now it used to be the labels ran everything but now it's just the artists and their management team which is often like somebody they're involved with or their brother and then this other sort of squad of kind of interesting group of people that are 
the entourage. The entourage, which is also their full-time stylist and drug dealer and the whatever. I'm just saying there's the, the culture is strange where the manager is often the person who's really pulling the strings. So there's a lot of just running to keep up with that in some cases that is kind of maddening and just ridiculous. Not like anything like the the world of commercials where it's a big a big sort of talk fest in the lead up to what's going to be done. And then the rest of it really becomes mostly about execution, not still figuring it out. And do we agree or not to these things? And are we going to allow for infighting? You know, they don't want infighting and they don't want all the drama as much. Music videos, they're not afraid of the drama. They like, they'll just keep it going. Yeah. And they'll also, they're not afraid to take risks too, which I think is the fun uh, i mean and from a creative standpoint totally compared to commercials which they claim to want to take risks uh when they're looking for directors and then as soon as you get the job they want zero risks no they were like would you please just do exactly what you did last time but slightly different right and do you mind if we just do it for you but you, you know, can we hold your hands and puppet you <laughs> right <laughs> yeah well yeah well speaking of like kind of you said you know you're up for a lot of projects now when you say you're up for a project are you typically talking about a project where someone is looking for a director and they would potentially pay you to direct this project right yeah when i when i say up for projects yeah i'm just talking about like sort of one of my reps has sent through their channels or somebody directly has sent me a, a song with a budget they already have a date or some kind of hybrid branding thing or these commercials yeah where somebody is, they're looking to fill that role, the director role. Right. And then are there other projects up right now that are not like you for hire, more projects that you originated? Oh, yeah. Or are originating? Yes, I I am in the process of pitching a feature. It'd be my first feature. So I'm just having conversations, mostly uh, going, I, I spent a lot of time researching and thinking about who might be like the great company to go to. But then I wind up resorting to asking friends who might know a person, what they think about this, you know, sort of, I, I'm just looking at the realities of this world of trying, uh, my, the memo that I wrote to myself recently is simply get into TV and film. Like I, I, the freelance directing landscape has been pretty tough in this time. And it's mm-hmm. definitely made me feel even more energized towards my creating my own stuff and getting it out there. And so I have been uh, writing a bunch of stuff. I got a bunch of projects at various stages that I'd like to pitch, started to do that and had some meetings. And I'm just saying that I have noticed that if you have any friend connection, any connection via friends, the process is vastly different than the cold calling or door knocking uh, mm-hmm. approach, which is a shame to say. But. Not to do, I, I know we had an agenda but I think Tim, you and I are in a very similar space in terms of. It sounds like maybe you're a couple steps ahead, but like it's a lot of like researching places, hopping onto social media, and like double checking, like okay, who are my friends? Knows this person at this company. So just like, to clarify, when you say friends are helpful, uh, and when Matt, you're talking about figuring out who to talk to, you're specifically looking for either a production company or a producer to make your project, your movie, or your TV show. Yeah, that's right. I, to clarify, I, yes, I'm looking for funding for a film and I'm also looking to see what the proper channel is to get a TV show made. So everybody, I think we're all starting to know if we have, if we don't already, uh, you can spend one year shooting your movie and editing it a year and a half 
you're probably going to spend four years in the lead up to that getting funding and getting proper funding situated and getting that made uh, and actually greenlit and sort of like that's I'm in that phase and I can tell it's a slow push, but I can tell it's going to be a long slog. But can I ask, is there a number that you're looking for to find to make it? Well, for this feature, I have the thought in my head that a million and a half would be a, a reasonable, but I mean, it's a large number for, for first film. But I also think it's the film is a little dense in, in terms of execution. And I'm just to be realistic, I, I think that's not a terrible number to aim for but what do i and know would that include the talent probably not but see the thing is, is i don't know how to I, i'm still like getting to know that process as, as to how to decide that you know thing. oh it's so fun um let, let me ask this because i have a similar number in mind is that based off of anything beyond a hunch like mine mine is like oh yeah i think i could do it for that right but i haven't uh, i i've been contemplating hiring a line producer and actually like knowing the real real number based off of like a schedule that i sketch out things yeah i mean mine's based off of just kind of how i crunch the numbers and say you know it yeah. seems like the smart way to 50 for craft service yeah yeah and the other half for uh yeah. cameras i mean in a sense the way i think about things like this is half the budget is production divide that by 20 days what's that $30,000 a day or something? Can I do that? You know, could I execute this project with that kind of budget leaving the other half up for post and marketing and everything else at this scale? Is that reasonable? I don't know if it is, but I, yeah, that's, it's sort of a hunch with those, with that thinking in mind. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. I like that back of the napkin thing. I mean, you know, on every single job, literally like I right before this, I was talking to actually a listener of our podcast, uh, who is, talking to me about a, a commercial thing. And he was like, look, the talent might want more money than we had. So we were trying to see if we can slim the budget down. You know, it might be like half as much as what I told you. And my answer is always like, we can make any budget work. You know, I can do a commercial for a million dollars and I can do a commercial for a thousand dollars, potentially even the same script. You know, it just depends how, you know, is this car going to explode on camera or off camera? Sure. Is it going to yeah, yeah. be a cheesy explosion or like a yeah. Transformers level explosion? Someone's vaping and throwing garbage at you from off screen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So because of that, it's hard to, I think the three of us probably, I when I think $30,000, I know that I can make a one day short film for $30,000 very easily, you know, and if you're amortizing that across 20 days, you know, you might have the day that's like $250,000 with a crowd shot and the big stunt team. And one day that you're shooting, uh, you know, five scenes in a small restaurant. A whole um, week that you do within, yeah, $30,000 if you can. Yeah. I mean, I think also, you know, doing videos and, and the various projects that we all do, you know, you see these budgets fly by in a day and you kind of say, wow, if you had given me a $75,000 for this sort of like, green screen shoot we did i could have made a i could have made a movie actually in some cases like i you know i i'm not inviting that experience and i but i do think there i mean we're you're aware that your first film there is a narrative that will be told which is how much was spent and how well did it do so you don't necessarily want to set yourself up for full-on disaster that four million dollars were spent for a movie that you know 16 people watched but I don't think that's necessarily the right way to think about it. I think you got to just go for what you believe in and fire away and not worry about whether it's 4 million. But I will say also, 
with that thinking in mind, I, I am aware that there's just a little bit of a feeling for me as a director, which is that if you watched the movie and you felt like the ideas were bigger than sort of what was available for execution, and yet it was still successful, like, uh, like wow, you, what you pulled off for that number, I, I can see the seams here and there, and I, you know, I might love that even more. I'm not, that's the thing, I'm not going to tell the producers as we're trying to find funding, but like, the reality is if I, if you pull off something brilliant at the indie level as your first film, there's really nothing wrong with that, uh, if you know sure. what I mean. I, I've kind of evolved on that, and a lot of it is because of our podcast, and I think my personal opinion, and this is uh, a overgeneralization, but I'm going to stick to it, is that nobody cares what the budget of your movie was. Well, with, with I mostly I agree with that. I think, Tim, your point of there being a narrative, quote unquote, about your feature career, producers, studios do care to a different extent in a different way, basically. If you spent a million dollars and you made $400 million, that's great. If you spent $10 million, you made $400 million. That's also great. If you spent $4 million and you only made $1 million, that's where it's a little gummy. But in terms of an audience enjoying But, but things, let's say, let's talk about like Nomadland. Let's say, like, I think it's believable that that movie was made for $4 million and made $1 million. Do you think that that um, Wait, means well, that Chloe's... Is that Zhao, true? That's not true at all. For sure, that's not true. I, well, I, I know that in the box office, well, it came out during COVID, Um you yeah. know, this is the, it, the best picture winner, but I, I'm what I'm claiming is that the fact that it won an Oscar for best picture has so much the 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 way the movie was received, regardless of how many people in the world saw it, and regardless of the ratio of profit, you know, of spending budget to box office or whatever, I don't think has as big of an effect as people think on your next movie. Sure, there's the Blair Witch Project. You kind of ruined that argument by pointing out the best, the one, the best picture winner as yeah. your example. Yeah, it, it's not a super strong comparison because a best picture means that you make more money. That's the reason pe people want best pictures, right? So, like maybe a stronger example. What you're getting at, Oren, is like something that played Sundance, but wasn't the bell of the ball. So like still a critical, quote unquote, critical success, a good, quote unquote, good movie that didn't connect with audiences and didn't make its money back. Yeah. Or, or wasn't marketed probably. Or like, let's even take yeah. Palm Springs, right? If it was made for $1 million or $10 million, it, it doesn't change the future of the, the guys that made it. I completely agree. I, 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 think you're I right. disagree, though. That, that Palm Springs specifically... Not sorry, Tim. Not but just Palm Springs specifically was the largest sale in Sundance history. Right, right. So that that does mean something, and the actual number isn't especially important. But but saying, oh yes, they made this weird movie that also made the most money of any Sundance acquisition is is part of the narrative for sure. No, but but outside of. Well, I guess. But that's who's hiring them to make the next movie. Yeah. No, no but I like the way right. you're thinking, Oren. I think you're but, thinking But I don't right think way. it matters that it was the largest sale. And, like, I don't think people are like, let's hire those guys because they made the movie that was the largest sale in Sundance history. I think they're what's saying, let's hire these guys because everyone fucking loved Palm Springs. And that's why you hire them. Or let's have them do a TV show. Or let's have them do... But thing, like, there, there is, though, a group think in Hollywood of like there were things that are good and there are things that are bad and this is what this is to reinforce your point Oren like 
good can be because it was successful good be could be like financially successful good could be because it was had huge ratings like bridgerton's a great example of that like that show you could say is good you could say it's bad it doesn't matter it had the highest ratings on netflix of all time like whatever it takes to get in that bucket as like a overall perception does directly play into how well how how easy it is for you to get your next movie made that that like that, that's the hollywood problem that we're talking about basically i think you're right yeah i mean i think and also just to be clear because i actually like the way you're, you guys are talking and i think it, it we should not be afraid to spend money and believe in ourselves and our ideas so that i think that's the main takeaway but i think i was just speaking to just the slight looking down from on high and saying i don't want things to go poorly uh you don't want a, a narrative that is that makes you look like a, a big failure and then you go to director jail for five years and nobody wants to work with you or even talk about you. And that's not going to happen, you know, to any of us. We're prudent people who care about budgets and, and story and everything in between. So, but I'm just saying, yeah, there's just that in my, in my mind when I think about what number I'm going to say when an interested producer asks you know, and what that will say about me and my, my goals. Right. You know, right. Because if you said I could make this movie for seventy grand, you know, like well, you don't, you yeah, you don't say that. You you try to get as much money as possible, but then you make the movie. And I guess the the reason I said I learned this from the podcast is because multiple times a week we get people pitching us filmmakers that should come on the podcast to talk about the movie, and they say we made this movie in ten days for fifteen thousand dollars. And that and can you believe that we made a movie that is actually watchable, which they usually aren't. Um, on that budget in that time. And Matt and I were like, you make a dollar, make a movie for $1. If it wins Sundance, we'll have you on, you know, make a movie for $10 million and nobody watches. Like all we care about is if the final product is something people are interested in. Uh, and I have a better example, sound of metal budget, $5.4 million box office, $176,000. I'm sure, you know, again, we don't know what the acquisition price is. I, I think that I really, the problem is, is that we, the best examples none of us have heard of and that's the problem like if you get an an amazon pickup deal worldwide amazon deal worldwide netflix deal that means that your b is different than whatever box office is do you know what i mean like box office is is only part of the equation of whether or not a film is yeah of course i guess my successful my bigger point is that if i'm a producer and i'm gonna hire a director I'm not going to be like, oh, this guy made a bunch of really crappy movies for $10,000 and they each made $100,000. I'm going to say like, oh my goodness, this person made a movie that, you know, played Tribeca and like everyone left in tears. You know, um, this one made a movie that's a cult hit because it like show, portrayed video games in a totally different way. You know, um, this person got a performance from Carrie Mulligan, who's never acted before. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I so I do think... You try to get the most money you can, but I, to me, it's never impressive to be like, oh, it looks like a million dollars, even though we only spent, you know, $100,000 on it. Like, to me, that is like the most boring story in Hollywood or the most boring narrative. It has become boring because we've heard it a lot and the tools. And because, yeah, a $2,000 camera can shoot a beautiful movie, you know? So that's, that's not what is making or breaking your film anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we all agree. We just want to make a good movie. And hopefully it makes enough money to make another one. And Oren says, maybe that's less important. And I, th- I think there's truth to that for sure. I'm saying I'm going to give you $15,000, Tim, to make, to own your, your movie. Yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah. And it better yeah, be yeah. good. Brutal. 
All right. Well, look, let's move into our, our next segment because I think we could talk about this for forever. Oren and I thought we, we, we thought we could talk a little bit about the nature of collaboration and the specific tools that the three of us have sort of learned and built over time in terms of how to collaborate with someone creatively. Because Oren and I kind of sat down, we started brainstorming some, some short ideas that maybe we would shoot together. Um, and it reminded me of all of the different things that we have learned on how to collaborate with a person and also highlighted some funny quirks about us. Obviously, I've known Oren for a long, long time. So I I saw all of them coming and vice versa, right? I think both of us... They call me the Zoe Deschanel of uh, <laughs> Silver Lake. Yeah. Yeah, the bangs are a cool touch though, dude. I haven't told you. They look great. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, I think we we come in with a thick skin and, and eyes open in terms of like, we can be harsh to one another, which maybe is a, a good place to start is like knowing uh emotionally where your co potential collaborators are is an important thing right like how personally are they going to take things yeah a lot of it i think and, I, and we've talked about this before is is your sensitivity to a specific person's opinion so i think i have friends who i think are super talented but when they give me the tiniest notes on things that like really pisses me off i'm like so offended and bothered and then i have other friends that are just so great at giving notes in a constructive way, even if they really don't care for the thing I made. And so I think a lot of it is about finding people that, that you're okay with that. And I mean, I think even with you, Matt, uh, our conversation yesterday, and I think maybe I'm cannibalizing your, the list that is in your head right now, but you know, the thing that you, we were both saying, you probably said it more, is like this idea of yes anding each other, you know? Like if, if your reaction to a friend's idea that you don't kind of vibe with instantly is, I don't like that, and that's much less helpful than, than a reaction of, I don't quite connect with that, but if we change this element, uh, I, I would connect with it. Well, it's interesting. I mean, so, so you guys are saying that you are, you have been pitching ideas to each other for projects that you either or both of you will create. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, which is super exciting. You guys have cool ideas, and uh, I look I at find that yes and from just, Tim Nakashi right there. So yeah, good. you don't even know what our ideas. Are. <laughs> I've heard, you know, I've heard a pitch from Oren, and I've seen some stuff from Matt. Like I know you guys' ideas, and I've I've always, I mean, like I, I remember Oren a few years ago. You were sort of workshopping a, a TV concept that I thought was amazing, and uh, so I I can speak with authority. But I um I think it's interesting what you're talking about. Like I I find myself usually. When I'm hearing something, especially a pitch for an idea that we're already chatting about and chewing on, but somebody wants to take it a direction that I absolutely hate, I, and and there's like it is funny. There's a visceral reaction, like a physical reaction you can almost have, where you're just like, uh, you know, you just want to. You're like, this is why I work alone. <laughs> exactly, you just want to grab the idea out of their hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and but I always kind of find myself kind of more and more trying to figure out what's the motivation behind their idea? Like, so what you're saying is blank, you know, what's, what's behind it? What's underneath it? So you're, you're trying to get here, you know, what's your North star. We can agree on this thing. And then I can together with you, you know, yes. And our way into like not hating each other at least. Right. Well, and, and there's two things that you just exhibited there, Tim, that I think are worth talking about. So the North star, right? Like having a common goal, I think is a big part of it, right? Like if you, at the top of things know like, okay, maybe there's a few but like we know 
that certain ideas are going to fall into certain buckets. Do we even want to make that thing? You know, if I, if I went to Orin and I said, I've got a great idea for like a stream of consciousness art film, that's a hard pass from Orin Kaplan. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's yeah, okay. Impossible for me to pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> pass. But I would pass. Yeah, yeah. Me. But do you know what I mean? And so I do like, because like, I think the buckets you know. thing is important. I agree yeah. that like the person I'm talking with right now about a short, he's a, a friend, and we we've written stuff together, and we already know that we have like a certain like group of movies we both like, a, a certain sensibility that we both have. Uh, you know, we like it. We like this kind of scene. Or this kind of moment and when it happens in a movie and it's successful, like, you know, so there's a little bit of like a feeling of like there's already some grease in the wheels in, in terms of what where we can go and what we can do. Fight Club is both of your guys' favorite movie. Fight Club, Boondock Saints, anything by Joe Carnahan. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being shitty. I like all of that stuff, everyone. Actually, I do. I, I genuinely do. So no, that's the problem. <laughs> the problem is when idiots like the movies that you like. <laughs> no, the problem is when you only like one type of thing. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I Like right now, my buddy is, it's his original idea. He was talking to me about, you know, this initial he gave me a great pitch for what this you know sort of device is that is the storytelling of this thing and uh and i've been thinking about it for a week and now i've been finding myself texting him going like are you are you working on this because i have some ideas as to what i think who i think the character should be why it's that character what's going to make it check off some other boxes for me in terms of like the emotionality and all that but he hasn't been getting back to me and uh but we're gonna get together this weekend now set up but in the like, meantime you see another one of your friends is posting on instagram how she's so excited to be working with him hashtag yes, set exactly. life um <laughs> the other thing i don't want to uh go past though is an openness as a, as just a mind frame right because it's very easy to take things personally as you know we're talking about our art and our dreams and our goals and our money it's a lot of stuff right so it's easy to to kind of maybe have a, a more rigid idea in mind that you maybe haven't totally fleshed out and anything that feels like it's going away from that can either be you know a misdirection or or an attack right so like knowing that that's not the case that everyone just wants to make something cool i think is important and it's also important to say about yes anding and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this guys yes and doesn't mean agree with everything it, especially in this case it means okay like let's take what's working and plus it right so saying i don't like this idea that's not especially constructive but get drilling down to like what's bumping for you is still progress forward basically and so like it yes and in this case is just about not shutting things down wholesale which is how you stunt create creativity entirely i agree i mean i think what you're doing is that's why i was speaking to like finding out what's motivating underneath it if i'm like really not liking the idea or the direction but but i i can yes and them at least if i understand what they were going for right and that involves being open maybe putting your ego aside and asking questions and just not making it in some cases getting away from the goal of getting those eight page eight, eight pages written or whatever or knowing what the ending is getting away from that goal and just sort of letting it be stay in its sort of primordial uh, stew state for as long as it can and then that's the comfortable place to be talking about what's motivating and what's motivating each other and the character and then get into story and 
and all the other things later. Anyway, that's my Well, let me on. ask you, Matt, yesterday, so basically, just to rewind a little bit, you know, Matt and I are both directors, uh, and we happen to work together on this podcast for over five years at this point. I think over six years. Uh, I think it was probably... It's coming up on six years if it's not already there. Accidentally, one of the more successful things that Matt and I have done, and we've, we've pretty much been doing this together every single week for like, yeah, almost six years. I mean, it's kind of insane. But we've never made anything together from a filmmaking point of view. And we have noted each other's stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Many, many times yeah. from script all the way through finished product, though. So, yeah, so, you we know, give each other advice and things yeah, as well, yeah. you know, um, on the business and, uh, on, and craft of filmmaking. At, the older I get and the more I have a family and all these other things in my life, the more I realize that I have less kind of creative partners. It's not like I'm, especially with COVID and everything, it's not like I'm hanging out at coffee shops and parties with other filmmakers all the time and linking up and making things. So, I find that I need to be much more proactive about teaming up with someone about being motivated to make things. And so Matt and I have tried to shoot some spec commercials before, but we usually, one of us will get some paid gig, you know, that will basically derail the whole thing. It, it just happens over and over. And we were just talking the other day and we said, well, let's just find something that we both are excited about and that will help us, you know, either shoot a, a certain type of spec commercial that will help us get the type of commercial we want to get or help it, let's make a short film that will help us get the type of feature deal we want to get or go to the type of festival we want to get. But since you're the person that I talk to like every single week, like maybe you are the person that I should Maybe you know, you're the problem. Teaming up Is that with. what you're going to say? <laughs> no, maybe <laughs> you're a good person to team up with and we'll be able to motivate each other. Because I, I mean, I've had so many meetings with friends and people and uh, you know I, I meet this filmmaker i want to meet with her let's talk about a project we can work on together we throw some ideas out and then nothing ever happens because i get a treatment to write and i just disappear for a week yeah once you to guys work, work together on something um well so this first meeting we had was literally just throwing out matt's like hey come just have five log lines for ideas um, i should so have said seeds even like it's not even it doesn't have to be like a if x and y don't do this thing stakes will happen you know like it could be like one of mine was two words, like a, an image, essentially, you know. Right. Um, Vampire bikini. <laughs> um, the, no. So uh, the very first idea that Matt threw out, I think my response to you, Matt, and I'm curious if this was offensive or not, because I, I think it's a good question, was explain to me why you like that, why you like the idea. I, I think that's a great reason or a great question and also forced a little me passive to... aggressive but it's a good question <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna say i feel like both of us said the meanest thing that we could say to each other in on creative terms like i feel like i called something film school oh and, yeah and you said but, something you said the you were right. equivalent yeah yeah and when neither of us were upset about it but it was like uh, what was it? You said something really funny oh, to me. I think maybe I said, and, and this is, I do this and it's bad and I've done it on many agency calls and it's usually dooms the job for me. But I think maybe you were talking about, you had a pitch about a, a animal influencer of sorts. And I said, you know, we've all seen the videos of 
the cat stylist that's like finding clothes to dress the cat. Certainly from like 10 years ago. We we both said that other things were familiar, which is kind of like another. I think that's the most hurtful thing. You said something funnier though. I'll figure it out. I love Yeah. I love being on a, in a pitch session and going, and and so that's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. So you you like that. idea? Oh, you mean Benjamin Button? The the exact same idea as Benjamin Button? Oh, Benjamin Button. I love it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They're like Benjamin who? But again, I think like, look, to illustrate two tools in the in the kit, right? Like not being offended, right? And also there there is language that I think maybe people can employ that is, that gets to the heart of what you're trying to say. Like calling something film school isn't especially constructive. I was trying to say like, oh, this is familiar in this way or whatever. Um, and could have done a much better job of doing that. And so I think like just being thoughtful about your language, again, it's partially to like avoid hurting someone's feelings. I know I didn't hurt Oren's feelings on that front. At least I hope not. Um, but it's more like how do you keep the, the conversation positive and creative and moving forward, basically. Yeah. And I think there's something really important is when you are teaming up with someone to collaborate on something, especially like an original idea, and you're, you're trying to figure out what that idea is, you really have to look at the Venn diagram of where your interests overlap and focus on that. And if I pitch you know, uh, Holocaust comedy or whatever to Matt and he, he doesn't connect with it. doesn't mean it's a bad idea. just means I just need to do it with someone else or do it on my own. So I think there is, if somebody doesn't like your idea, it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It just means they're not the right partner for that idea. Yeah. Also. Well, I mean, I, I think what we're talking about here is that there should be trust between people who are getting together. There's hopefully trust or if there's not, there is hopefully you got the, the bumper on the car that's you can say oh this doesn't work with this person but it works for me i can take it elsewhere All, or what we're also saying is if somebody doesn't have the perfect words to tell me their feedback the job isn't do i hold them accountable and teach them a lesson as to how to communicate the job is we want to get somewhere we want to make something so you kind of have to put a lot of things aside and, and make the focus be we would like to leave this room you know with a cooler idea than we started. It's not, it's not necessarily, did we get along? Did I get all the compliments I wanted or something? You know. or, or did I win? Whatever that or means. Or did I win? You know? Yeah. Well, what, how do you guys deal when you're working with someone else and collaborating on something and you feel like their instincts are the exact opposite of your instincts? Like you think their ideas are generic or uh cheesy or something and you're you know. kind of maybe this is in a more professional setting this is this is a setting where you didn't elect to work with this person and walking away isn't really an option just to kind of set the table right well i guess in in either way too i mean i've teamed up with friends to write scripts and stuff and like a few days in i'm like uh just their instinct is just always so different than mine or i think that this logic issue is like not an issue at all like we could explain away with the line of dialogue but they're trying to rearrange the entire plot because they think this is like ruining the movie well you have to just you have to call it out i mean i i personally believe you must say what you're thinking or you are now not going to get anywhere you know you're going to be a sack race and limping along and as opposed to productively on the same page i mean you have to give real honest feedback or you're not going to get anywhere. So I, I think, yeah, the question, if the question is whether to be honest, you, you must, in my opinion. But if it's if the question is, how do you do that? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a different question altogether. I mean, I, right. think, I guess it's like, when do you walk away and when do you kind of fight to keep 
keep it together. I, I honestly think it's almost, if, if you're asking me, I would determine how aligned I was with somebody before I got to the place that I had moved in with them. And now I have to think about how am I going to, where am I going to stay as I'm moving my stuff out? Like in a sense, like I don't want to get too far in that where it's a painful process to unplug from that person I mean, creatively. It, it is, it is a marriage in a sense. It is, is a real commitment, right? Even if it's a short-term project, you know? Definitely like a shared space uh, agreement. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is in the commercial world, we're constantly given like mediocre scripts and find ways to fall in love with them. And I wonder why we don't do that as much with our passion project. I think, well, but part of it is that there is like this to, to echo what Tim was mentioning before, like there's this sense that things have been approved by a ton of stakeholders and have been workshopped with people for months and months and months and test groups and all that stuff. So there, you kind of have to, with a commercial, you feel like, oh, okay, there's, you know, some sort of higher power that's decided that this is what we're making, right? Right. Well, I will say though, I, a, side, a little bit of a side note, I will never think that way about a commercial again. <laughs> I, sure. because because it's just some guy it's just some copywriter well it's a little it bit of it is sort of like some guy or person at the top and there's a lot of political sort of like palace intrigue that i honestly do realize more often than not is how they arrived at what they arrived at it's not focus groups and science and people in lab coats because i i did that i did this shoot two years ago in prague it was a commercial for mcdonald's i think i've already talked about it with you guys and like it, it's, it seemed like they had it all mapped out in terms of like, I got the, the deck and the deck was like, here's our audience. She's this person. Uh, it's this age. Here's a new thing going on with our kiosks. We've, we've thought about why, you know, what to say about it, what they're going to choose and what that says about her and about, and then it's about this particular story, which is the walk to the place or whatever. And they had this pretty much insert the most boring story on top of narrative on top of that to get executed in 30 seconds. And they got on the phone with me and I was like, you know, yeah, uh, the, the thinking that you're, you're describing, which is how I was thinking too, which is like, all right, it seems like you got to have a wide shot first. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll get a close up. I mean, this already mapped out. There are already storyboards. And, and the guy, the sort of the executive creative director, you know, he's like, well, what about this thing that you did or something? And he was, he was pointing out things in my videos that were like, had nothing to do with that. They were clearly like, you know, having fun with visuals and mm -hmm. eye popping stuff that's very different and, and ain't anything about this narrative anymore. And then I started saying, well, yeah, you could do something like this. And I, I sort of like stretched the limits a little bit with like a, a an idea and he was like, yeah, that's great. I, and all it was was something about like uh, shooting on a steady cam or just something where it's just like a little bit like trying to expand what it is. And then he was like, you know, that's great. I can see where you're going with it. The only problem is everybody else is going to be pitching that same idea. And I really want to go back to the client and show them something they've never seen before. And that was like for me, like, you know what, I, what's going on here? Like it started out here. It's there. Uh, he basically... I, I was feeling a little almost annoyed. And so I just sent them this sort of bonkers idea, which was like this video collage idea, thinking like going off what you said, sure. here's something that is going to scare you. You're not going to like it. And, but here we go. So, and they chose that and we'd shot it and it was, uh, and the whole time it was completely had departed from 
all of their strict ideas. And, mm -hmm. uh, and literally the whole shoot was that sort of video collage one I did where, you know, you're shooting the same relationship between camera and subject in the same movement and same and repeat actions and sort of like, and then you're sort of slicing that all together. And it was pr done pretty punk rock style, like just with a steady cam. It wasn't like, you know, motion control or anything. And basically there were, a lot of the shoot was just uh, me coming up with like what this sure. weird dance was that this girl was going to do. And I decided just to push it and be kind of fucked up and weird about it. Like it wasn't like at all palatable to what it seemed like their market was. And so that was a long story to say that uh, they, they were so grateful that, and I felt like that feeling of like the artist who's come in and just sort of like lopped off all the heads of the agency and just like <laughs> made this thing. And like everybody, the client sat back and loved it and also seemed afraid of it, but loved it. And I, I don't know, I just feel like that's how you get to expand your horizons and with your your work basically because that's that on my reel now and it weirdly was like the most creative thing i did that year not a bit not in the videos was that commercial for a freaking mcdonald's but. yeah for sure that's the dream to get hired because of your creativity not because of your easy to work withness. yes all those things exactly and i sort of fell into it at that moment and realized like i'm gonna do that from now on is that true do you get a script and you say yeah this dialogue's not funny Let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't even address those details. Like, I just sort of ignore the dialogue and just kind of go like, uh, this is um, a dance film. You know, just like... Is that in the pitch or is that on set or like when when does that happen or the whole way through? It's definitely in the pitching and the conversations before pitching where you just kind of go, all right, so great talking with you. I heard what you said, but what about blank? And then the thing is, is I think it might operate sort of in a similar way to what Orton was describing earlier that from the the idea of s setting yourself apart but in a little bit of a different way because I think basically everybody in that room or on that zoom call has already been talking about this project for like two months and they're sick of it so and, just coming in with something to spice it up yeah yeah and yeah and yeah. now you come in and and there's just a sense I think if the idea is good hopefully there's a sense of like oh now we're all operating on instincts we're saying this new thing we're all gonna we're all feeling like I have a reason to get out of bed tomorrow morning because I want to see what happens, you know, as opposed to can we check off all the boxes that we've been. There is something funny, and I feel like Lawson Deming, who has been on our show and does VFX, talked about a lot with me when we were, like, coming up, is, like, there is this instinct that uh, new is better. Like, the new idea, the shiny idea, the one you haven't been sitting with for two months, is better somehow. And that's not always the case. And it kind of actually brings back the final point I wanted to make about collaboration, generally speaking, is that a lot of people say like, oh, the best idea wins. That's how we make our decision in terms of, you know, what we're working on creatively. Is it, is it the funniest joke or whatever? You know, um, no ego, like anyone can pitch an idea and the best idea gets there. But there, there, it begs the question then, who decides what good or bad is? Right. In the first, like, what, what is that rubric? So, uh, you know, how do you two feel about that mentality? Because in, uh, philosophically, everyone's like, yeah, of course, but there's no way of really judging the virtue of an idea in an empiric sense, you know, or does Tim disagree? I want to hear it. it I mean, so are you talking about like, how does one decide what's good and what's bad? Mm -hmm. I think it's just like, uh, or more good, better is maybe the word. Oh, 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 I see. That's different. Yeah, okay, yeah. gotcha. But, but, but no, keep going. Follow that thread. Follow that thread. 
I mean, I think you just have to listen to yourself. You have to listen to your instincts and trust them and say, this is bad, this is good, this is better. I I don't think, I think you're right. There's no uh, absolute in terms of ideas, but but you you were connecting that to the idea of what newer newer is better. Is that right? Well, I was just pivoting. Because to me, like that's the that's the challenge, which is what people think is new is often not new. Like you and I have been looking at it for two years, but they're saying it's new. Or sometimes something that's kind of classic has not been like had like its moment recently, and that feels incredibly refreshing to pull back and go to something like, you know, less snarky or something simpler or, you know, whatever. So, And and I think there's a difference between like pitching better jokes and coming at a something that just seems like, hey, here's a woman walking to McDonald's and saying like, let's do a collage, you know, intercut with music and it's a, a dance now. Like, I think one is plussing an idea and one is changing the idea. And I think there's it's really dependent on the project. If it is, you know, the agency has gone back and forth with the client a hundred times on the script to get exactly the right verbiage on how to present the product and explain how it works and what chemicals are in it or whatever. It's a little harder to come pitch, um, you know, whatever, like a, a CG, you know, experimental film for that. But if it, there is something a little more artistic or if uh, again, the creative director is like, yeah, we just got this project last week. We're kind of, this was our first idea. Give us your best idea you know, I think then you can go a little crazy. And I think you'll always, you might not always get the job, but you'll always get rewarded for taking a big swing. I heard this story recently. I think I told Matt, I think I might've told you about it, but my friend was pitching, is was producing a job for a pretty traditional brand, like a John Deere type of brand for a commercial. And uh, the director came on to the very first call with the agency. This is the call usually that if you know anything about agency calls, when the director has the agency go through the script, gets their ideas, figures out what they're looking for, what the branding is, what all, you know, all the little details before they write their treatment. And this director, he was a European director. They get on the call. They say, hello, hello. Nice to meet you. Thanks for sending me the creative. Thanks for considering me. And then the director, just without any like any intro or anything said, okay, now uh, everyone, if you can please be quiet, I would like to read you something. And my, my friend who's a producer is like, oh my God, who is this guy? Like he's just already bossing the agency around. And he's like, okay, please close your eyes. Now imagine this, a close up on a blade of grass, a drop of water comes down and immediately a wheel rides <laughs> through it, shuddering the quietness. This is also a great example of I how love this, man. I, I think that our show is filled with lots of really smart wisdom. Uh, but also that is like if, if Oren, if you said specifically to me, this is how I'm going to start my pitch. I would be like, do not do that. That is genuinely a bad idea. like you will lose the job like that would be the advice i would give to you and to all of our listeners the guy got the job and he was like again he was like one of these sandbag guys they they didn't even think he was going to get the job and the agency my friend who's a producer was so annoyed that the director just took over the conversation the agency he said you could tell they were like uh okay we'll be quiet who is this guy and they're like how long are we going to let this guy read this thing you know in his like norwegian accent or whatever and then they were like, okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then and then the drone comes over and we see that, you know, and he was basically going through the shot list um, and describing this uh, race film, you know, for this 30-second lawnmower commercial, whatever it was. And by the end, they were like... No way, that's amazing. 
It's like thousands of people. No, I don't know if there was really a slow clap, clap but he, my friend was like, at the end, we're like, yeah, man, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I mean, that goes um, to show you. Yeah, and you I got mean, the drone and you got the thing. Saying, Tim, yeah. though. You, you didn't go in guns blazing, but you did pitch something drastically different, different than what you know was on the board initially i didn't go and go exactly because i didn't know to do this until after that project in a sense or during that project that because there was like i did a shoot you know a few years before where i in another country and a big brand and uh i was looking back i realized like i just executed what they wanted kind of like shot for shot i just executed what they wanted and what they wanted was pretty cool um if you cut it down a little bit it looks like i did something cool but it's not and and i remember at the end of that shoot, the agency guy, like the, the, the sort of client internal agency, whatever he was from Amsterdam showed up and it was like, I have never, he's, his comment, which was meant, I believe is a, a backhanded compliment was I've never seen a spot that was more accurate to the boards, mm-hmm. you know? And to me, that was just like a just <laughs> slap yeah. in the face. I was yeah, like, yeah. Oh my God, I, have, I heard something I'd never want to hear again. Whereas this time at that McDonald's one that I was describing in too much detail, the, the client, literally after we watched it the first time, everybody was, everybody was very quiet. There was no slow clap. And it was a little bit of like, a, I was afraid that the reactions because everybody was quiet. And you could see the agency people were just like skittering and like trying to hide under the couch. And uh, this person from the, the client side who I just was completely hard to read her, she just said, I guess it's a piece of art. <laughs> and i just like i was like yeah i don't know what that means but that's what i want to hear there from, you go from here on out like but i do think like as a you know it's the the model of like i think it's important to not be mired in details if you're going to go in and you're going to try to change the game shift some gears and, and get their attention it's it's important to not get mired in the details so like it's like the the sort of funny comparison between between like if you got like a an Apple computer and the box arrived versus getting a Dell and the box arrives like I don't know if you're aware of this but like the Apple box will be like just black and it just says simple or different or whatever the Dell will be just literally like wall to wall like fine print like about features like features uh, Intel yeah three eighty six like megahertz and and but also California says you should not touch this product or just all the stuffs all over it and like you know which which one of those is cool it's the simple iconic idea like if they can sort of see it in their head in an instant under a spotlight they're going to I understand what your motivations were as we were talking about that part of it. And, you know, they're going to understand what you're going for and they're going to like kind of assume the best about your idea. I think in many ways, less is more. And I think that's, that's part of it. You know, if you want to be Werner Herzog and come out there and and try to like take over the agency pitch meeting, that's the way to do it. Well, let me ask, because I think these are all really fascinating lessons that work where, you know, you're entering a situation where people already kind of have an idea of what they want the thing to be. And you're there to spice things up, right? Like that's the job of the director, right? When, when you're in a situation like Orin and I were having yesterday, and, and I imagine a lot of our listeners who are looking to start their own passion projects, maybe want to recruit a friend, you know, what other sorts of uh, lessons or mentalities can we apply from that agency PPM sort of meeting where we're there to kind of like tap dance and present ideas and plus ideas like is there anything else we can bring to our creative partnerships so you're saying other than the stuff we've already talked about during whether it's a 
an agency meeting or a collaboration with a friend to make a short film? What are some other sort of like yeah yeah key like yeah? I mean, I think we I think we hit a lot of them, but I guess I wonder in the conversation about how you break the mold, and that's what the sometimes agency people are looking for is like because things have gotten stale and perhaps maybe that's the answer is like sometimes people are coming to you because they need a fresh set of eyes right maybe it's not from inception you know that you're there to kind of help well it's interesting i don't i i I mean what where my mind goes to is look we are people we are humans two people three people talking in a room together or in a zoom together and it is good to go back to that be to remember that you know so like you're coming up with an idea you're pitching a scenario or a character like the more i know about you the more i care about you and that i am also appreciate the moment and the thing that we might make and where it might go or what it might say the more i'm going to be in tune with it you know if the question is how do you come up with crazy new zany ideas i mean that's obviously a very different assignment but i do think at the heart of all of this like People want to be moved by what you're making, you know, mostly, right? And you're going to get there by being a person, by being a real person and emotionally involved in what's going on. And I think, you know, find your way into being emotionally involved in what's going on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. It is a lot to think about. I recently lost out on a pitch that I was like 100% sure I was going to get because it seemed like a very technical job and I got on that first call with like all the technical solutions. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to pull it off. I made these models in Blender to show you what it's going to look like. We're going to do this. And I, I have this question that I've talked about on the podcast about that I ask agency people all the time, which is like, you know, what are you looking for in a treatment? Like, what is the problem that you haven't figured out yet that I can like address in the treatment? What are you most worried about? Whatever. Um, and I did that. And I really, they like, had questions about the comedy of the spot and everything. And then I had all these ideas and jokes and pitches and things. So from what I understand, the person that I was pitching against just pitched a real energetic, kinetic montage of shots that was really simple to understand. And the energy was really captured and they didn't seem to worry so much about the technicalities of how each shot would be accomplished in the way that I was coming in like the PhD nerd and this other person was coming in as an artist maybe a little bit like it doesn't sound like you really were but yeah sometimes you can accidentally be you know the line producer at times when you're because you can think that way and you've got a mind for that stuff you can crunch that but you know it is true it is smart to think about what's going to speak to them in the room and what why why they decided to to work at this agency and, and make this thing and why why it's important and sometimes they just don't know or care about how it's going to be made you know it's just what's going to be on that screen and is it going to speak to people or keep them in their job or whatever right right yeah i mean there there's to lengthen your metaphor tim there's a a computer in both of those boxes like you could talk about how to make the computer for sure in fact the one with all the fine print is probably a better deal in some ways (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah, exactly (laughs) yeah 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 but like they don't care about how to make the computer if they did care about it, they'd have a different job. Well, so Tim, are you familiar with unpaid endorsements? It's a segment we do at the end of I, every episode. I am, yeah. Unpaid endorsements. So my unpaid endorsement is for uh, something that I've actually talked about on the podcast a decent amount that's gone online recently. 
and it's called a sandbox, which is uh, like a workshop for directors. Pretty typically in the before times, what would happen is, is like a handful of directors would all pool a little bit of money together and then they'd all go into a theater space over on Santa Monica Boulevard and uh, they'd all bring a handful of actors and they'd workshop a scene that they were writing, basically. So four directors, you know, they'd have somebody come in with their scene. The actors would run the scene. The actors would leave. Everyone would give notes. Then the director would deliver said notes, whatever ones they want to keep and whichever ones they want to discard to the actors. And they'd kind of workshop it a couple times and then rinse and repeat four times. Basically, that's some of our listeners. Our old editor, Christopher Robert Gray, ended up being a regular over there. He was acting with a ton of people. It's a nice way to make connections. Uh, and you know, effectively it's like you're going to the gym if you're an actor or a director. My wife, uh, was pretty active in the group and that workshopped, I think all of her feature through it, but it was always kind of uh, local to Los Angeles. And, um, one of the founders, Savannah Block has taken it online. So now she's kind of transferred things into a, a, a remote zoom sort of situation. So if you go to sandbox LA, dot la you can apply to join i think there's just a small little fee but again i think it's uh certainly it's a, a an organization that i personally and my wife have have a built a ton of really wonderful relationships through and um and now you don't have to live in los angeles to do it so go to sandbox.la to check it out uh tim what uh what do you have to endorse i'll endorse this great graphic novel that i've cracked open called shortcomings it's just a great story. I love the drawings, but it's just sort of a, a cool story that is has some nice grounded, difficult situations in it. It's I, I'm just enjoying it. And uh, the author, or the, the the artist is Adrian, I think, Tomine, if I'm saying the name right. I think it's Tomine. He's from Sacramento. What up? Oh, are you, do you know this yeah. graphic novel, man? I do. Yes. Yes. Big fan. Have you read his most recent book? No. It's great. It's called The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist. And it's autobiographical, kind of like from his childhood all the way up, like little vignettes, basically, about the nature of being a cartoonist. But I think it's especially uh, uh, applicable to freelance artists in general. Cool. And I see he wrote a screenplay for Shortcoming also, based on the book. So I guess you can't buy those rights. Might as well stop reading that book. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... I have a kind of fluffy endorsement. Uh, this person does not need any endorsement because I already have a million followers on Instagram. But I, I don't know how I found her, but I uh, follow this dancer. Her name is Kelly Erdman, and her Instagram is Kelladactyl, K-E-L-L-A-D-A-C-T-Y-L. And she just posts a bazillion dance videos. And as I'm scrolling through Instagram like reading all this like political junk and rage filled stuff and seeing people's babies and cats and whatever. Uh, every few videos are like one of hers and the they're shot really well. There's She stabilizes her head in most of them and it just looks so cool. She dances with Twitch sometimes, your, your old buddy, Matt. She has another dancer that she dances with that I also follow. Her name is Kausha Campbell. And they just do really fun dances. They usually do the same dance in front of like four different backgrounds and then they just intercut them. And I don't know. It's just like a breath of fresh air in my Instagram feed. And, you know, I show the videos to my daughter and stuff. So I don't know. It's um, not super deep, but I, I really enjoy um, watching these well-edited dance videos. So. Breath of fresh air. Visual pop. The The stabilization to the face is so 
on trend and so weird and cool. So effective. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty rad. It can really yeah. plus up a dance performance. I bet. I bet. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll, we'll check it out. Or we'll have our links to Tim's website, etc., etc., um, all on our website, justshootitpod.com. You can follow us across all social media at, at justshootitpod. And you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And I'm on Instagram at OKaplan. I'm on Twitter at SmiteyPileg. We love to hear from you, so please email us. Uh, we're justshootitpod at gmail.com. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our social media manager is Derek Aiello. Our consulting producer is Ali Kornfeld. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And we will catch you next week. Thanks, everyone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.